Welcome to Open Hands, a podcast exploring spirituality, mental health, and the space in between. I'm your host and fellow wanderer, Sarah Nickerson. This week, Jacqueline Ramales explores how a better understanding of her own mental health led to a deeper sense of spiritual connection and purpose. She shares the beauty of her Mexican heritage and the passion she feels for creating spaces in which others feel empowered and seen. Thanks for being here. All right. Well, Jackie, welcome to Open Hands. I am delighted to have you here today. You have been one of my really close friends through the years, and I'm excited um, that you get to to be on Open Hands, and I thank you so much for being here. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you. Um, I'm doing pretty good today. It's a nice rainy day. Yeah. Okay, well, talk to me a little bit about, you know, yourself. So usually we have guests just start by introducing themselves. So whatever you would like to share, I would love to hear. Sure. So my name is Jacqueline, as you've already said. I'm currently a grad student. I'm getting my master's in public administration. And the reason why I decided to pursue that was because of the work I do. I work in a nonprofit that focuses on youth development and is heavily based in two immigrant communities in New York City. Um, So I'm focusing a lot on that. Most of my time is taken up by either work or by school. Um, Mm. Other than that, I am a Bronx native and I come from an immigrant family. So I'm really tied to just the experience of immigrants overall. And I I spend a lot of time thinking about that, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, So when you graduate, what is sort of, if you heard to say like what your big plan was or your big dream was, what would it be? My big dream would to would be to run a program that focuses on both the social emotional development of children, but from a family lens, so even bringing in family into the conversation mm-hmm. and also creating economic opportunities for them yeah. throughout one organization. So really taking care about the, um, of the population in, in all facets of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Like more holistically instead of sort of, I know in New York, sometimes it becomes like piecemeal, like they're, they go to one place for something and then to somewhere else. And then people Mm -hmm. don't really have like a full, um, like a total experience under the same roof. Right. Yeah. I often wonder what communities would look like if they, they received support, um, in, in different areas, right? So not just focusing on their immediate needs, but their long-term needs and also what their goals mm-hmm. are. I don't think we often ask them what their goals are. In life. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of just like, this is what we think you need rather than what their, you know, their own um, goals are and, and hopes for themselves. It's very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know when I worked in, in residential, that would come up a lot. Like there is sort of the program's um, goals for them. <laughs> and yeah. I'd be like, well, I don't know if this is their goals. Like they might have different goals in, in trying to partner uh, with clients and, and help them to, to be able to do that. I think, yeah, that's a really important piece that I think is often missing. And like you said, like the community aspect of like bringing in the family because um, mm-hmm. we aren't, 
generally just isolated unto ourselves. There's usually a larger network and, and, um, group of people around us. So that's, yeah, that's really cool. And I know that before you, um, you originally were going back to school just for, to be like a clinical social worker. Is that right? Yep. I was, but and then, I yeah, decided not to. <laughs> yeah. What, what kind of helped to inform that decision for you? Yeah. Um, a breakdown informed that decision. <laughs> yeah. So I can backtrack a little bit and share yeah, yeah. that I was working at a um, organization that works with survivors of sex trafficking. And I was working as a safe home coordinator. So I lived in the home and was mostly working overnight. And um, through that, I guess just had, you know, when they say this opens up a can of worms, well, that opened oh, up yeah. a can opened yeah, up a huge yeah. can of worms. I had no idea it was there. Uh, so I actually uh, started to have panic attacks and anxiety and mm-hmm. depressive thoughts come up that I had never experienced before in my life. Yeah. And um, three months into my MSW program, not even three months, three weeks into my MSW program, I yeah. decided that I was going to take a leave of absence because mm-hmm. it got to a point where I, I wasn't able to continue at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, what was during that time? Like, what was that like for you in terms of um, like, what were some of the most difficult aspects of it? And then also like, how did it maybe change or alter your, your own identity or your spiritual identity? I know those are a lot of questions. So whichever <laughs> one you want to answer is fine. <laughs> the most difficult aspect of dealing with it was the physical aspect uh mm-hmm. I felt things in my body that I had never experienced shaking but wanting to sleep endlessly yeah having having fear and, and anxiety creep up feeling like there was something around my neck almost all the time yeah. that was really difficult and I think the thoughts that came with it so I never I thought of myself as a person that would think of suicidal thoughts and and have um almost this longing sadness that I felt I couldn't escape. So I think that was difficult, but I also learned a lot about myself. So the organization had a great uh, employee care plan. And so they actually introduced me to counseling for the very first time. And I was able to take counseling sessions through them uh, that really like helped to start inform yeah, what, how I how I thought about mental health from a personal standpoint, yeah. and also spirituality as well. Mm. What changed for you um, in terms of your thoughts around mental health? Like, uh, was there sort of a shift in um, your relationship to it? I know you said personally, so I'm guessing community. Like, you know, for a lot of people, I feel like we're like, yeah, mental health is great until <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Our own personal situation where we're like, oh, <laughs> I need help. So yeah, how did that sort of challenge your own sort of relationship to your mental health? Yeah, well, they don't tell you how common it is. I feel <laughs> yes. Like, <laughs> I feel like until you're in it, you don't realize how common it is. And I have few experiences where I feel like um, I can't empathize, but yeah, that's one of the experiences where I realized, wow, I had no empathy mental health at all I had sympathy so I almost felt you know 
pity for for people or, or sadness for them but i didn't fully understand it until i grappled with it myself um and that so that was frustrating sometimes yeah. <laughs> to think like why why didn't people tell me how normal this was but i had yeah. people in my life that were able to make me feel normal during that time yeah. so people at my work who had experienced the same thing they were like tell me tell me the suicidal thoughts just straight on tell me and yeah. I thought oh my gosh and then I remember one coworker said I can assure you I've had the same thought you've had yeah. and um, just seeing her so steady and in herself was beautiful and also my friendship with you um, mm. helped me so much during that time and it helped yeah. me feel peace and it helped me feel normal so I think that was a something that I started to learn about mental health and and sometimes when things don't go well how normal it is to feel that it's like part of the human experience yeah yeah and did you find that that was in contradiction even um like religiously or culturally for you mm -hmm. to what you had been taught or experienced yeah there was a shift for sure because spiritually they talk to you about finding joy or finding hope mm finding the light and so I think it always feels like active work you have to find it you have yeah. to do it oh. but instead of just being in the moment right they don't talk about that about really yeah. sitting with it yeah. uh, culturally it was a big shift too I grew up in a household where I wasn't allowed to cry <laughs> yeah. I actually had a really loving father yeah. I adore him but he never wanted to see me show any sign of what he felt was weakness yeah, yeah and so that was difficult too I mean my aunts have they don't even know what anxiety is mm. doesn't mean that they didn't feel it they just didn't never defined it or weren't allowed to define it culturally yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah I know some of the students that I work with there's even like um I don't know how to describe it but like specific I know like it, I think it's I want to say in Greek culture they call it like Angia or something. There's like different different words that people use that almost make it sometimes feel like it's um, like there's almost a taboo sort of mm -hmm. like yeah attached to it versus what it sounds like what you learned in, when you were in counseling. Like oh, this is like clinical. This is something that happens to a lot of people. It's not something that is a result of you not trying hard enough or being too dramatic or you know, anything mm -hmm. along those lines, there's more of you kind of had that space to be able to explore it more, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And I also realized just how important it is to to deal with things based on when they happen rather than to turn a blind eye to them because um, all the trauma that was resurfacing wasn't something that I anticipated because um, when I was a kid, I... I had some trauma in my life specifically yeah. related to sexual abuse yeah. and I hadn't worked on that. I had thought about it. It was a sad thought that would sometimes cross my mind, mm -hmm. but I never in a million years thought that it would have an impact on me in my adulthood. Yeah. Um, so that taught me that I actually had to go back <laughs> in time yeah. and think through things that I had neglected to think about or maybe didn't have the space to think about mm -hmm. and what what came out of that so you know I'm sure going into it was was really scary did you find that there were things that were surprising to you or 
Um, do you feel like you were able to find the healing that you needed? Yeah, I think what surprised me most was that the healing, I don't know that I'll ever fully heal from it. And yeah. I remember one time a counselor told me that there might be stages in my life where I'll have to heal with the trauma differently. Right. Yeah. So it almost, I feel like with the counseling that I received, it prepared me to um, be ready, you know, not necessarily in a, in a defensive way, but just to, to be grounded in who I was and, and to just be ready for like the motions that that life can take, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And you said, I love that you said be grounded in, in who I was. And what, what does that mean to you when you say that? Yeah. I think it's accepting parts of myself. Um, and even also knowing where I need to grow, but not doing it from such a, shameful standpoint that I was doing before yeah I sometimes still do that but I have to remind myself to be grounded there's actually this quote um, by John Lewis that has a biblical reference attached to it too so it it says um, I feel like a tree planted by the river I'm at home I'm at home with myself and so I think about it at times and I repeat it to myself when I feel like I'm starting to feel a little bit shaken or unsure about something um, and I say it has a biblical reference because Psalm one actually references that too. Yeah. Um, so I think it just allows me the space to, to work on myself and, and I feel like I've been more productive in that, right? Like I, mm-hmm. there's things about myself that I, I don't like, or that I know aren't inherently good. Um, yeah. and yeah, but, but I'm still me and yeah. And I have the opportunity to to grow. So, yeah. Where do you feel like you were working on that place from before? So, like now, now you're able to like work from it, work on it from a more mm-hmm. grounded space. And and before, when you were um, having some of you know more difficult mental health issues, where do you think that place was coming from? Mm-hmm. I was definitely um, running away from it. I wanted it. Yeah. I just wanted to paint over it and and have it exit my life. So I wanted to kind of disassociate with everything that made me feel dirty, made me mm-hmm. feel um, sad. Yeah. But now I realize that those are the things that have made me who I am. And you know, for and it, it's an unfortunate human experience, but yeah, yeah. make us stronger and more resilient. And I think now too, like I'm seeing it from the standpoint of I'm confident in myself and I'm mm-hmm. accepting myself versus before. And still sometimes I deal with like my image and caring mm-hmm. about what other people think or how they see me. Yeah. Um, but, but I didn't have the base of understanding that that's actually not important to me. And that actually doesn't like bring me life. So yeah. I think now I have that. Yeah. Yeah. And how has your spirituality shifted or changed as you've become more familiar with yourself and and with these sort of tender places? Mm -hmm. I think 
my grandma helped me most with my spirituality in a, in an almost unrelated way. But, um, so I grew up in a Catholic home. I went to Catholic middle school and high school, elementary school. And, um, I always liked the idea of who Jesus was and the Bible characters. Mm -hmm. Some people don't like their religion class. I loved my religion class, but then when I got to college, I didn't have that. And so, um, I joined a Christian fellowship and, Mm -hmm. Um, looking back on it now, in a lot of ways that brought me closer to God, but in a lot of ways it made me um, unaware of who he really was because, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was really about reading your Bible every day, praying every day, doing all these things, going to small group. It was like a checklist. And, you know, I, I thrive on checklists, on completing things. Yeah, it felt like I just wasn't doing enough. Or when I didn't do it, I felt really mm. disappointed in myself. But then yeah. um, during my time in college, I actually got really close with my grandma and would visit her often in Mexico. And I saw how she lived out her faith, how it was in the in the words she would say or choose not to say about others. Yeah. Or it would be about her prayer life and just the way she lived, you know, and I think that during the time when I was also going through this mental health crisis that I was having, it felt beautiful to know that she had this belief, deep, deep belief in God and deep relationship with Jesus. And it, she wasn't doing anything Mm -hmm. that I was being told to do. She wasn't listening to the sermon two times, three times a week. (laughs) (laughs) yet she was really in tune with God and it almost taught me like wow like by doing nothing like I am still God um wow yeah when you say um I know you said she was doing nothing or just it sounds like she was just being herself like how Mm -hmm. did you know that she was connected to God like what what did you feel from her that sort of tuned you into that Mm -hmm. I think it was in her almost her um like her love for other people like her love for her children and her love of nature so she lives in this really poor place in Mexico um but it's a place in Mexico where you own the land that you live in and so she had chickens and she had um turkeys she also had all these crops and just, mm-hmm. it's almost like she like really just lived in this, this small piece of heaven on earth. And I don't know. I just feel like the way she moved around her day or the way she was like, she showed um, like her love for me. Yeah. Uh, and also at nights, sometimes she would pray and like the earnestness that she would pray with was just yeah. beautiful to witness too. Yeah. Like it was almost... Um... It sounds like it was very personal, like it it was so personal and unique to her rather than Mm -hmm. like a spiritual performance, I guess, in a way. Yeah. And also just her, her, at least from what I saw, she didn't have any shame in not reading her Bible. She didn't have any shame in, you know, not doing X, Y, and Z that we're told to do. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like she knew God loved her and accepted yeah. her so and listened to her because she would she would pray fervently to him 
Yeah. She was a tree planted by the river. Yes, exactly. I like that. Where, yeah. Where do you think for you, like a lot of your, your shame came from? If you, if you want to share um, and, mm-hmm. and how has your more personal spirituality helped to alleviate that? Mm-hmm. I think my shame comes from different parts of my life. So more obviously it came from the sexual abuse, right? So um, it was at a young age. I was probably six, seven, around that age. Um, And it just taught me to live in secrecy of some sort Mm. without even knowing that I was. Yeah. You know, when that moment happened, I knew I couldn't say anything. Um, And so then I think that's where shame started in me yeah and also um you know I was raised by a dad that also sought for us to be our best so Mm. that was a driver and it actually has helped me in so many ways but I think mixed in with the the abuse that happened when I couldn't perform or be my best then I would hide I would feel Mm. like I had to hide Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then the hiding, it sounds like exasperated, exasperated some of the anxiety and the depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really love, um, there's this author Parker Palmer. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's like, a. I think he's actually like in the psychology field, but one of the things he says is that our depression or our anxiety is sometimes like a friend that's mm-hmm. sort of like, getting our attention to, to turn towards something that needs healing. Like we think of it as like an enemy because it doesn't feel good, but it's just kind of our body's way of being like, Hey, there's some stuff here that Mm -hmm. we haven't dealt with. And now we're going to take over your body until you do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) My, I have a counselor who would say, or who would ask me, how does it feel in your body? And so yeah. now I use that when that when I'm angry, I try and like pay attention to where my body I feel the anger or what I feel, and try to just like explore that in my mind, mm-hmm. um, because I think it is true, right? Like there's reasons why I feel the anxiety or the sadness, and instead yeah. of being ashamed of them or feeling like they make me weak, it's like it's almost like a, an alert right like hey like maybe let's take it to this part and that's also helped me too it's it's made also my behavior um I don't want to say better but it's just made it different in how I approach things Mm -hmm. I approach things more slowly or more calmly Mm -hmm. than I would have before like instead of maybe being um reactive you're able to watch yourself in a way yeah exactly um so instead of choosing to to yell or or to act on my anger um it just helps me be more mindful just to take time to even think about like how it feels in my body because even that you know takes time takes a few minutes Uh, it takes like an hour to just sit with Mm -hmm. yeah and to be more connected to yourself in that way and then sort of thinking you know, through your, your own spiritual, um, process, like what were some of the big changes you noticed in your spirituality, maybe 
before some of these mental health issues happened and after, like what has shifted for you? Mm-hmm. I think I didn't realize how, how steady I was in my phase because I, I thought, how could I consider my faith steady if I am not doing all these things that I'm told I'm supposed to do? Um, but throughout the suffering, I'm not sure why, I don't know if it was just, um, if it, if it went like under the surface, but I never questioned God's existence and I still don't like, I never asked God why me, um, why is this happening? I always felt like he was there. I sometimes felt like, is he not powerful enough that he can't Mm -hmm. take this away from me? But I knew that he cared for me. Um, but what I uncovered about my spirituality too, was just that I needed to let go of, of this idea of God that I had too. And like Mm -hmm. go back to the root of how I saw him when I was younger or like why I was even interested in, in who he was during my religion classes. And a lot of it was because of like the love that he demonstrated. Um, and I think that there's so many attributes to God but the attribute that's always resonated to me has been as protector. Yeah. Uh, so I almost um, use that as like a point of reference to like getting deeper in my faith and, and just prayer and just knowing that like at the end of the day, there are things that I do wrong, but God always seeks to protect me. And that was helpful. Hmm. What do you think draws you to that particular attribute mm-hmm. of God? A lot of it has to do with feeling safe. I always have this, I've been in situations where I haven't felt safe, both yeah. when I was young and when I was older. And, um, but around God, I've always felt safe. And um, that's probably it. Because when I feel safe, I feel like even if I'm casted in anxiety or have um, a depressive episode, um, that I know someone is caring for me. So physically, like when I am not doing well or when I'm anxious, like it helps me to have people around. I know that it depends per person, but for me, it helps to have someone yeah. watching over me or sitting with me. Yeah. Or talking with me. Mm, like that sense of of being held almost it sounds yeah, like of being held yeah so there's yeah. this visual too that I have sometimes when I'm not well and I I I picture me going to sleep on on Jesus's lap and yeah. it's really helpful yeah yeah I love that I know for me I always think of like like literally being rocked you know mm. by this like warm light of sort of like being covered in and, and surrounded by this warm light that's very like tenderly rocking and and that's like a very it's you know visuals are are so important but I also think that um for my own my own self I believe that you know we can alter the energy around us and I think we're Mm -hmm. we're that prayer life or that meditation or mindfulness really does bring in some of that that healing energy that we're looking for and so yeah, I, I love that for you. Um, God is a place of of protection and sort of like a, a shield. How does that inform 
your work, like the work that you have chosen to do in the world? Yeah. Um, I would say I'm really protective of the people that I get to serve. So um, not sure if I said this, but a lot of the community members that I work with are immigrants. So either second generation or first generation. And I think that there's this longing to, for from me that people see their worth Mm -hmm. and that they, they also know that they're worth. Um, And so I think I'm really passionate about bringing to the light what, what they offer because they're just like you and me there yeah. but they're like massive <laughs> with these um shameful labels. stereotypes yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. they're labeled wrongly and incorrectly um and because of that that brings shame to a whole community mm-hmm. right whether we want to admit it or not i mean when trump became president there was a yeah. shame that was brought onto my family personally yeah. and these are from people that are really strong um, but I consider really strong willed yeah. Yeah. and the idea that um, racist rhetoric could make the strongest people in my life feel shame yeah. uh, really disrupted things in my family. Um, and again, like for the community, I felt like, you know, how much shame are they feeling and how can I help? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so serving as a protector and also as a, um, like a champion. Like, I think that's, mm-hmm. and in my time of knowing you, that's always been how I've thought of you is like, you're so loyal, but I think also one of your gifts is that you are able to kind of see the gifts in people and then walk alongside them um, as they rediscover that or are able to, to find that within themselves. And that's like a very special gifting that not a lot of people have. I think, you know, with a lot of obviously white saviorism and mm-hmm. and just America in general, there's this idea that, you know, we go in to help, <laughs> like, you know, we're going to fix and that's not, that's a very mm-hmm. toxic narrative. And it's also just not a, like a true narrative, like you're saying. And, um, even just as my friend, I think that's mm-hmm. something that you've, you've been in my life is like, you are, yeah, you're a champion. You're someone who is able to remind me of who I am when I've forgotten, um, and it's also like you are really good at at joining. Like you said, I know you had said this sort of at the beginning of our conversation, but like you are able to empathize. Um, and empathy is also, is also, you know, coming from a place of shared experience mm-hmm. rather than like, you know, sort of like this distant, like, I see that you're hurting and like, God, oh, that mm-hmm. must be so hard. Good luck. You're like, I see that you're hurting and I'm here with you, or I've, I've experienced something similar to this. Um, it's like, yeah. you're very good. Yeah. You're so good at, at, at sort of, uh, bringing everybody up into the same place. Like there's no hierarchy in your friendships or, or in your work. And I think that's a, that's a very special part of who you are. Well, thank you. Sarah. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think that I I want people to see other people's work. Like that's what I strive for. I'm not necessarily sure why. I don't know if it's because I felt really like worthless at different points in my life. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I've also seen like the strengths that I really have. And I realized that 
a lot of the the strengths, like I had to see them within myself first and I didn't have someone there cheering me on. And I think that that inhibited me in some ways. And now that I'm older, I have friends like you that help bring me back to myself too. Um, but sometimes I wonder about like whether, um, whether we as a, a community and as a society are really creating opportunities for people to, to like um, use their worth and, and use their talents. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's like really deeply about that. And um, yeah. And even in my friendships too, I think that like, I really care that people understand their value just in who they are, not in what they do in their careers or the good works that they are, but just like in, in who they are as people. Um, because I think it's, it's hard for us, you know, especially in America where we have to be someone <laughs> yeah. to be worth anything, or at least that's how it feels. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And it sounds like um, for you, your spirituality, when it sort of shifted um, from the checklist mm-hmm. and the sort of like, you know, these are all the things I have to do to be accepted. It like, it shifted. um like who you were or who you knew yourself to be. And then that in turn directed your work, Um, which sometimes I think like you were talking about, it's sort of sometimes it's the opposite. Like people are like, well, I'm supposed to do this good thing. Mm -hmm. And then it like comes from this, this icky place or this place of really like um, trying to, to atone for our shame or, or trying to be, something versus like, I know who I am. I'm this tree that's grounded (laughs) by the river. And then from this place, like I can then, um, offer like peace or empowerment or, um, or even really, like you said, like when you take time to notice your body, Mm -hmm. uh, it's the same thing. Like we have to take time to notice other people's bodies. It's like, there's a aspect of listening that comes from like feeling with the body versus just mm-hmm. sort of it's like, what can I do? How can I fix it? I'm here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And sometimes though, it's living with the reality that just that feeling is going to be uncomfortable. So yeah. it's almost, yeah. so I hate the feeling that you get in your stomach when uh, like you're on a roller coaster, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes when I'm anxious, that's how it feels. And it's so uncomfortable. And, but I need to just remember that, like, that is how it feels. And though it doesn't feel fun, it's like you said, trying to alert me about something. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause, and I almost think about like working on my mental health <laughs> as working out just physically. <laughs> yeah. So it is not fun. I mean, unless you think it's fun, I don't know, Sarah, but I... No, I don't. <laughs> I don't think, especially certain, like, workout positions that you have to do, I don't think they're really fun. But um, but there's something that comes with that along the way, right? So there's either you have um, better stamina, you have more muscles, et cetera, but that doesn't happen overnight either. It's a really long process. Um, and so I guess when I'm feeling like... The sadness, I think about how um, the choices I make and really inform just the long-term process. It's not always about right now. And I think that, you know, we live in such an instantaneous society where we want to feel better right away. We want to, mm-hmm. like, you know, just have this instant gratification. Um, yeah. 
but a lot of it is just like a really long-term process. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've been reading this book right now by, I don't know if you know, do you know Ayanla Van Zandt? I don't. She, I really like her. She's a spiritual teacher and she's just like funny and has been through a lot in her life. And I'm reading one of her books right now called In the Meantime. And she specifically talks about that. She's like, you are not going to be able to figure it out right now. Like you're not going to be able to heal it right now. Like this is not a right now experience. Like this is a meantime experience. And in the meantime, things are really open ended. And they are sometimes confusing and it feels like you're maybe like walking down a hallway with the blindfold on, like you can only really feel your way forward. Um, And I absolutely think that that's true, especially with mental health or or really any difficult situation in our life. Like we want to know that it's all going to turn out okay. But Mm -hmm. the truth is, is that the not knowing is, is what heals us in the process, like healing is like you said, like any other, any other physical process in life. So like if you have surgery, you're not going to wake up after surgery and be like better, (laughs) you know, it's like months and months of recovery and there's pain and you're like still in pain and your body is having to relearn itself. And like, Mm -hmm. but that's, that's still all part of the healing process. And yeah, I think sometimes we forget that or, or even like you said at the beginning, like you feel like you're doing something wrong. Like, you know, I'm hitting all the items on my checklist, but somehow things aren't, you know, getting better. So yeah, I love that idea that sometimes it's just like sitting in the discomfort and recognizing that this is also the discomfort is also part of that healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think also just like, like, again, this is normal stuff. This is like everyday normal human experiences. And we don't talk about it enough, but like, I think counseling is being normalized um, a lot more, which is a great thing. And I think that if we continue down that path and continue to also just remind people that those feelings are very normal feelings and you don't have to go through something super dramatic to feel them, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that would help us understand ourselves better too. Um, because yeah. I think that's the idea. I, I had a friend who said, you know, well, I haven't been through something like super dramatic or, or um, super abusive. So I don't understand why I feel the way I feel. And it makes you feel like there's something that you did wrong as a human at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, no, this is who we are. We are people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one thing that I've appreciated about the pandemic. I know that there's like few and far, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, few and far things in between. But there has been for myself at least. And I think for a lot of my clients, like there's a sense of relief and knowing Mm -hmm. that we're not alone in what we're feeling. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll like talk to people who maybe generally are like doing pretty good in the world. And like, now they're like, Oh my God, this is so hard. And I'm like, yes, it is, isn't it? (laughs) And just sort of like, yeah. Yeah. There's just this, like, it makes me feel like less alone. Like, okay. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh man, I'm feeling really depressed today. Well, who isn't? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, like they're in, in, but the truth is, like, even before the pandemic, people were feeling that way. It's just that mm-hmm. there wasn't, like you said, as much of a acknowledgement or like a talking about it or their shame around it or, you know, all these, all these different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And everyone's process looks different too. So um, the more I know myself, the more I can like 
calculate almost like how long is this going to last just because Mm -hmm. I've had episodes in the past and I think that that's like one it showed me that suffering will happen again and it can come when you least expect it for the smallest reason or the biggest reason Um, but also like it just gives me again like a point of reference of okay what to go to and what fills Mm -hmm. me Mm. Um, also my community has been really helpful with that so that includes you includes my family I think that I didn't um, appreciate my family as much as as I did after that happened especially my dad Um, I think that in going through these mental health experiences that um, that I went through a few years ago it allowed him and I to bond closer for him to understand me more. And for me to hear about his own stories about his struggle um, Mm -hmm. at different points in his life. Yeah. So I think really having conversations is important. Right. Yeah. Like being open allows other people to also be, be open in that way. And it's like almost like giving someone else, like when we're open and give someone else permission to, to also not be perfect, Mm -hmm. not have things together all of those pieces of it. Yeah. And I think uh, our friendship has done that too. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, we I, all get together. <laughs> I know. Well, you're like one of the people in my life that I know I can come to. I don't know. There's just something that's so different about coming to somebody who knows mm-hmm. how you're feeling versus someone who's, who's like, so loving and compassionate and supportive, but like doesn't quite get it. There's like, there's like a different, both of those experiences are special and valuable. Um, But like it, yeah, it's just Mm -hmm. such a, it's, it's relieving to be with someone who knows like, yep, I know exactly. I've had that thought or like Mm -hmm. I've had that experience and you're not bad or you're not crazy or, you know, any of these things that we attach to them. Agreed. Yeah. Well, Jackie, I'm so glad to have had you on today. Thank you so much for for taking the time. And um, I personally, as your friend, am so excited to just see, you know, all the good that you do in the world. I know that um, you are a safe place for so many people and you are a protector of communities and um, of the kids that you work with. And I'm just so thankful and really cherish our friendship a lot thank you for having me sarah and i'm glad that i have you in my safe place too because it you know it's it's meant so much to me this friendship thanks for having me by the river yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right i'll talk to you soon okay take care Bye. Hands is produced, hosted, and edited by Sarah Nickerson. Theme music is by Sleeping at Last. You can find Open Hands on Instagram at Open Hands Podcast. Thanks so much for listening and be well.